The Fail On Podcast, episode 041. I would spend an hour and a half in the parking lot of our real estate firm and I would be coaching people for $50 an hour. Well, $50 for 90 minutes because I couldn't stop helping them. I just loved it. So then I had that moment of making a decision to jump and I jumped. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that knows publicly sharing your failures is not only the fastest way to learn, but it's also the fastest way to grow your business and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only shares successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and real entrepreneurs, not all of the overnight success stories. And this is a platform for their stories. And if you can't tell already, my voice is just completely wrecked after a week at Tony Robbins' date with Destiny in Palm Beach, Florida. It was an amazing event, but the after effect is that I can't talk very well. Regardless, today's story is a beautiful one. It is of Shanda Sumter. Shanda is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, lifestyle specialist, and the founder of Hardcore Business, a multi-million dollar enterprise. Through her business coaching, book, and tailored series of online marketing courses, Shanda presents a step-by-step system to take participants out of the daily grind and into a life that they actually love. We discuss the tactics and methods Shanda uses to overcome a negative mindset and the importance of mentorship for building a business. She goes into the most overlooked area that beginners miss when starting their own company, and Shanda outlines in full detail her actionable strategy for building a new business if she had lost everything today and started over completely. But first, luckily, all I travel with now is a backpack for one reason only. It's clothing from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool, that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. So this means I can travel with less clothes since they clean themselves. Check out the show notes page for an exclusive Failon discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Failon podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. All right. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast. I am sitting down with Shanda Sumter. We have probably the best backdrop of a podcast in podcast history right now. I agree. We're sitting, you'll probably hear it in the, back, in the background. I think there's a lawnmower going, but we are sitting on a bluff in La Jolla, which is nice for me because it's about 200 feet from my house. So thanks for, thanks for coming to me today. I appreciate that. So just to get into it, usually I like to ask this later on. But just in context, what does failure actually mean to you? Success. I literally just finished leading a call with a few hundred people and I was talking about how your connection with stretching, like your connection with working, needs to be one of, I wouldn't say excitement, but obsession in the essence of like, so for for instance, right now I'm building out a new product funnel. And the back end of all of everything in my company works really well. And so we were working on the front end. So long story short is we got the front end working, the back end stopped working. And the back end hasn't stopped working for years. And so it was like this moment of like obsession 
of, wow, like when I solve this piece, what's going to happen? Like the, the ripple effect of what that means for not only inside my company, but the millions of people that we get to serve. And so I was saying, you know, you talk about routine or comfort zone. Comfort zone is just another version for another language for routine. And so people often don't realize that they're in a routine of being frustrated as they're failing at things. But failure is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people on your podcast have talked about this in the essence of it's just a part of it. Like you, there's nothing that we ever do that just works. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. That's how masters get created right? So I get excited when I'm failing on something because I've actually done something now. And so now I actually know what I need to focus on now to fix something to get to the other side of that thing. Exactly. It's a good point. So on that note, you said the back end broke first time it's happening forever. And that was for you, that was like, it was almost like, and I could tell just by talking to you, like it was a moment of excitement because you get to solve something and you get to figure out and dig in why it was a challenge and what, what happened and to prevent it from happening, happening again. Has that always been kind of your mindset no. of looking at, challenge, <laughs> looking at challenges and getting excited by them or has no. it been something you've developed? No, I've developed. Tony Robbins' movie, I thought was, he said something that I thought was brilliant in it and that was that he built himself. And I think entrepreneurs have to understand that you build yourself. And that's the cool thing about your podcast is you're helping people build themselves, right? So no, not at all. I mean, I used to fail and think I was a loser. I would fail and wonder if this is ever going to happen, you know, and not just in being an entrepreneur, but even in corporate America. I mean, I I had such low self-esteem. I mean, now getting up on stages is crazy that I do what I do. Because I was, I mean, I remember asking for one of my first raises and I cried because I felt so unworthy. Isn't that strange? That's amazing. What was the mindset shift that allowed you to go from, from then till, to now? A combination of studying a lot. You know, John Asraft was just sitting with my new husband and they were just having dinner together and, and Ash is a seven or eight time Ironman. And he was sharing with John how when he cuts videos, because he now owns this hydration company called Highburst, when he cuts videos, how it takes him so many takes. And John said, well, I mean, how long, how long does it take to do an Ironman? Like how much practice do you really put in? And it was an aha moment hearing Ash share that conversation with me because I was like, you know, imagine if we actually stopped and realized that if we got obsessed with our thing and we were okay with studying, which means there's going to be, as the helicopter goes by, <laughs> if you were okay with that, you'd recognize that you, you just keep getting better. Like life doesn't get easier. Business doesn't get easier. It just doesn't. But you do get better. So if you could walk through those stressful moments without getting stressed, like if somehow, I remember when I had nothing, I, I was losing my house, I was losing my car. It was a really down moment for me. And I hadn't started my business yet, but I was in corporate America and, but I was sales commissioned. And so I had nothing. And I remember what got me out of it was not writing what I was grateful for because I was grateful for nothing at that moment. Like I, I have never been good at like pretending, you know, because if you don't really believe it, the pretend, it just doesn't have the same strength. So I remember just saying, what's the worst that could happen right now? And it was move back to Canada and move in with my mom. And everything in me didn't want to do that, but I still was okay. You'd have shelter. You'd have food. Right. Like you weren't going to die. Exactly. But we act as if somehow keeping up with the Joneses, if we don't make it, 
we're somehow less than. And if you could get out from that thought process, then you can win this game. How are you able to do that? Because I know that's like, I hear you. I hear you. And it was a challenge for, for me as well. But for somebody listening that's maybe at that point where they're at a crossroads, they, you know, on one hand, they, they know they have more in them. On the other hand, they're comfortable in a job. How do you, how do you break through that shift of asking yourself that question? Like, what's the worst that can happen? And being okay with downgrading your lifestyle or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, not everybody's okay with that, but you have to get okay with that. So, you know, there's a couple of key things that I've done. So first of all, I did get okay with that. I, I was like, because I actually didn't think I was going to make it anyway. So I was like, what's the worst that, I, that can happen? I'll move in with my mom. Okay, I'm fine then. It somehow takes the pressure off. If you can get the pressure off you, you stop retracting and you can actually expand. So from that moment, I was actually able to start writing down what I was proud of myself for and why. And it's funny because I read the Bible every day now. I'm very spiritual, but I just started reading the Bible about a year and a half ago. And in the Bible, it tells you pride is a horrible thing. But the truth is, is that back in that time, I had to get connected with my self-worth. And I wrote what I was proud of myself for and why. And I would write it for 10 minutes twice a day. And I'm not kidding you, on day two, all of a sudden I felt invincible. I mean, I felt, I felt so powerful and so strong. I started asking people for help, which is the same equivalent of asking for a sale at that point in time, right? So whether you're an entrepreneur or you, you know, are in corporate America, I started asking for help or I started asking for the sale. And then somebody ended up lending me money. It was like $5,000. It was enough to pay my mortgage and then just kind of feel the confidence and go after it. But there's things I've done in the, pro- in the meanwhile, like I've started endurance sports. There's nothing like training for a half marathon. Who you are in the process of training for that shows you who you actually are inside your business or inside your life. And when you're close to, let's say, your money, it's really easy to work really hard, but working hard doesn't mean that you actually create an end result that you want because most people work hard for a certain amount of time and then they stop. Train for an endurance race and see your pattern because you might train while you feel good and then not train when you don't feel good or you get a sprained ankle. You're like, I can't run anymore because I have a sprained ankle. I can't train. Well, a pro would just hit the pool, but I don't know how to swim. It doesn't matter. Just go download something online and just do a workout, go to a bar class, go to uh, go lift weights, go jump on a trainer to ride a bike. They'll keep going. They won't stop at the thing that gets in their way. They'll get around it. And when you start to learn how to train your brain to be like that, it's just the same everywhere. I want to go back to what actually got you when you're in corp- corporate America, what actually got you down to that lowest point? Like what was the catalyst that was like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. Or I mean, was that the situation or No, I never let go. Okay. I never let go. I just let go of the stress. Right? So and if you can if you can let go of the stress, you can access ideas and you're just one idea away from success. I mean, you just are. So it, the only thing that guarantees failure is you stopping. So if you just create a habit. So so I was a great starter, I was a shitty finisher. And so you've got to become a good finisher to be able to create anything in life. So I had this, my only dream was I just wanted to make $5,000 a month. I thought I'd be rich at that. If I could make $5,000 a month and I could own my time, I felt like I was satisfied. And what I've realized is that that was my biggest dream because that's all I could dream. And today it's a lot bigger dream. 
right? And now I'm actually just said to my friends last night, let's get together and have a dream party because I still think I'm dreaming too small. And I think that's the problem. I think that all of us are still dreaming a lot into what we think is possible or maybe a little bit outside that. But what if you surrounded yourself around people who really dreamed big and then you worked one plan to get there? I like that. I think for me, and I know for a lot of people I've talked to, it's, it's, I'm right there with you. It. It's, it's but it's a progression in terms of like my only dream about four years ago was to support myself without a job. Yeah. To same same kind of thing. I didn't care how much it's it was. The entry level drug. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it wasn't it wasn't a financial thing really. It was it turned into one, but initially it was just the time freedom, like to, like you said, to own your time, and that was my only dream. I then I got I got I achieved that right, and then it turned into okay, well, let's scale this and let's focus on the money and, and just keep going because I found a formula that works. And then it was just, you know, kind of a m- more recent transition is, okay, financially fulfilled, but actually fulfilled, not really, right? Because it was a very transactional business and like a cash flow type thing. And so now my shift's like, okay, how do I make an impact? Yeah. So I think I think there's always progression of, it's hard to dream massively if your only goal is to have a, you know, to support yourself with your own job. It is, but growing a company, Rob, it, at some point it becomes really unselfish. I think at first it does start selfish because you have to, I mean, every formula you see, you have to put the mask over your face. The plane's going down, you got to put the mask over it. You have to put the mask over your face first. So I think it starts selfish. I mean, I don't know too many people that it doesn't. And when somebody doesn't have a business and they tell me, that they're going to save the world, I'm like, you have to get selfish, right? Because it's probably not going to happen. So I get that. But then, so then there's that point where you're financially okay and you're comfortable again. You're back in that comfort zone. You're in a routine. And then you get that client that's a pain or you get like, you know, something that's happening inside your business and it becomes like too much. You just don't want to deal with it. And then that's a point where you, it's another, you know, cross in the road Am I going to go left and stay comfortable and not deal with any of that? And honestly, I can't tell you how many people I know that are huge authors and have been running the stages for a long time that they disappear for three or four years because they're dealing with something in their life. It takes a lot of unselfishness to deal with those things in your life and still stay focused on making a difference. And I think that's where the road splits. I think there's a lot of very talented people that go left into I'm not going to do what it takes right now because I've got too much of my own stuff on my plate and I don't want to give. You know what I mean? Where then there's turn to the right, which is now that's another problem I'm going to solve, even though it's a pain in my, you know what, I'm going to solve that. There's It's a system that I'm going to create. And those are the people that grow 40, 50, $100 million, billion, I'm, you know, I'm talking to a billionaire right now. Like, you know, those are the people who solve those things and really grow sustainable companies. I don't think sustainable, I mean, most people get caught at 1.52 million. They get stuck there and then they find a new level of generosity and get past that. And then it really does become, I'm at the 5 million right now. And it it's like uh, about a year and a half ago, I was like, okay, do I really? Even last year, I woke up in the middle of the night and I still took four and a half months off last year, Rob, but I, I worked the time that I worked. I worked from 2.30 in the morning 
until like my son got up and then I would have breakfast with him and then the nanny would come and I'd go back to work. Then I would stop to have dinner with them and then I'd go back to work and then sleep for a few hours. And I did that for 10 months last year. I remember sitting up in the middle of the night and I looked at Ash. He calls it my one in the morning moments. And I looked at him. I was like, why am I doing this? I mean, we're fine financially, you know, why am I? And he was like, well, I'll support you on whatever you want to do. And I was like, no. And I got out of bed and I went in the living room and I did what I do and I prayed. And then I got back to work, right? And created a system to solve the reason why I was working like that. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I actually want to take it back because I'm really curious on something you said earlier, like somebody gave you $5,000 loan. Go back to the first time or take us back to the first time that somebody actually gave you money in exchange for something that you created. Because I think that's a, it's a big mind shift for a lot of people once somebody gives you money, like outside of a corporate job. Yeah. Okay. So a friend of mine, Robert, was the only person that I knew in this world when I made the leap. And he mailed his database, which is why I say... What is that? (laughs) Oh, no. This is the joys of having this, being entrepreneurs and be able to do this right on the bluff, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But Robert emailed his database and we did a teleconference call. And in that teleconference call, I made an offer to work with me for, I think it was like 1997. And so basically two grand. And I think I had three people say yes. And I, I was still in corporate America and I literally, I, I, was in a, I was in my car it was nighttime. I was in my car doing the conference call off my cell phone and I hung up that phone and went, I figured out the secret to life. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe that people, I just made, you know, that much money off a teleconference call. I was like, what am I doing? So yeah, it's an amazing moment. And what was the actual product or service that you were providing? It, it was basically how do you spot opportunities and and make them happen. So I had become a GM of a nightclub in Las Vegas. I had no experience, never attended bar, any of that, and became a GM, right? And then I had a three-and-a-half-year run on that. And then I was in real estate. I learned how to do real estate by going to a real estate seminar and I sold over $100 million in real estate. No way. It's amazing. Totally unqualified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still can tell you I don't know how to write a contract. Sure. And so, you know, I was just really good at painting visions for people. And I could just see a vision for someone. It's probably what makes me a good coach now. I can just see where you should go. And I can paint that. Okay. So you're selling $100 million in real estate. No idea how to write contracts. Yeah. So like totally unqualified. So basically what I sold was how do you spot an opportunity? How do you create a vision and speak into that vision so that people will follow you, right? You've got to become a great leader to be an entrepreneur. And so what I started to do is teach people who wanted to make more money how to paint visions for people, how to, how to create opportunities and how to step into them to maximize them in your life. And that was my first program and product. I still give it with one of my programs because I think it's some of my best work. You know, before you get influenced anywhere, it's just just pure giving on what I did. And it worked and it worked really well. And just so I have the kind of the timeline in order. So you sold that after you had the real estate? I was still in real estate. Okay. So it was kind of simultaneous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. This was never supposed to be anything. I mean, it was a shamanic experience in Sedona that I just 
that literally just got this vision to do this. And it's that's a whole nother story, but it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I kind of want to go that way, but <laughs> let's keep the timeline rolling. So after you start, after you had that moment and you were like, wow, I, I figured out the keys to life. Yeah. How did your business evolve from there? Like that first year moving forward? It was hard. It was hard because I didn't hire a coach. And I don't say that because I'm a coach. It, it, it's just... It's just easier to make the investment, especially even if you don't have the money to make the investment because you'll, you'll actually hold yourself accountable. How many people have a desire to write a book and four years later, they still haven't written the book, right? So, you know, when I wanted to write a book, I hired a coach to write a book and I wrote the book, you know, and it was done. So we just don't do things we're afraid of very often, especially if we haven't developed that muscle. And so hiring a good coach, which is not a cheap coach, a good coach uh, they'll get you there faster. So, you know, a good coach in the marketplace that we're speaking right now is usually charging anywhere from 1500 to $5,000 a month for support. And, okay, so hiring a coach and you, yeah, 1500 to 5K a month, which is, you know, for most people, not very cheap. But is that what was able to get you out of, out of kind of where you were stuck and really catapult you forward? Yeah, so... When I started my company, again, remember it was a, it was a kind of a fluke, you know, it was just, I just started to establish it. And so then I had to make the decision, do I leave corporate America that I just sold all of this real estate, built this division and do I leave it all? You know, it was working, you know, do I leave it all and go do this thing? But I was spending like, I would spend an hour and a half in the parking lot of our real estate firm. And I would be coaching people for $50 an hour. Well, $50 for 90 minutes because I couldn't stop helping them. I just loved it. So then I had that moment of making a decision to jump and I jumped. And I used my friend Robert. He really supported me a lot where he would mail his database and I would get a few clients. And so eventually I started making $5,000 a month. Eventually I'm fast forwarding, but I really did start making $5,000 a month. But that wasn't until... I had gotten the realization that I needed a database. I needed an email list. And I think this is the most overlooked thing that new beginners miss. They spend time on, like, what am I going to sell? What does my website look like? Websites don't make money. They just don't. I mean, they just don't. Just, I mean, Sarah Blakely owns Spanx. She went on Oprah and she didn't have a website before she went on Oprah. You know, they just don't make money. She hustled and found sales, you know. So my point in sharing that with you is that even though I say this, people will still hear this and then they think that they still have to figure out what they're going to sell first. But really, if you build a database first and you ask your email list what they want around a topic, they will tell you what will make you rich. Because the whole game of making money is how generous can you be? And people totally miss that. They think it's a getting game and it's not. And so creating a product, then going and finding the audience is very hard. Well, and the way they want it might be different. So like, you know, you might be teaching something or giving something that people really want, but if you're not delivering it, like you're not speaking into it the way that they want to receive it, right? Like let's just take doing blogging. Your audience might think blogging is a way that they can sell, sell other JV products, other people's companies and take affiliate fees. Or, or, and you might be marketing it as make money with your blog and learn how to get engagement and they don't even make that connection. 
right? And so it's something so small. So I hope I didn't lose anybody there. But no, it's, it's this is a, I totally agree. It's a huge it's a huge point that people overlook completely because if you have an audience. I don't want to make it sound too easy, but like everything else takes care of itself. It does. You know, because you, you have the feedback. Exactly. If you don't have the feedback, how do you know what to build? Well, yeah. And, and you can grow with that email list. So I, I grew with the email list from 5,000 to multiple seven figures. Right. And that wouldn't have been possible. Like I'm working with cold traffic right now, like Facebook internet traffic. And I know my messaging. I know my ideal client. I know my avatar. I've been doing this. I have I mean, I put 700 people through one of my programs a year, you know, and so we know what we're doing and we know all of our statistics, yet cold traffic is hard. It's a different ballgame. And all these people are out there trying to like market on social media. It's like, don't market on social media yet. Why don't, like, don't get me wrong. It's great. Build an email list. When you can sell out to your email list, now you can take care of your cash flow. I'm big on bootstrapping your way to the top. And so now you can take care of your cash flow. Now you can hire the good teams, the ones that cost six, seven, or $10,000 a month that know what they're doing to be able to drive traffic. Totally agree. And I know we talked about how your back end broke. What are, outside of that, what are some of your biggest struggles in your business today? It was team, but it's not team anymore. And mainly because I hold them accountable. So it's not team anymore. And are they all local? Just out of curiosity. They're all local okay. except for, except for two. We are, we have eight employees and we have about 14 contractors. So the goal is that everybody becomes an employee inside the company. And so they just, so anyway, that's a whole other story. Kind of like contract to hire type deal, like yeah. prove yourself. Yeah, and, okay, exactly. Sure. We do a 90 day, a 90 day, see if this is a good fit for you and I, and then we make a hire. But um, I learned something from one of the owners of Infusionsoft, and that is to hire people for your company that have already scaled through the process that you're actually scaling through, where I think a mistake that a lot of us make is we hire for what we need right now because that feels more comfortable, yeah, right? Even though it doesn't feel comfortable, yeah. it still feels more comfortable. <laughs> but so, you know, if you can make those decisions outside your comfort zone and say, okay, where am I going? I know this vision is big. I know it feels like who knows if I'm going to hit it. You have a lot better chance of hitting it if you hire somebody who's already been there. And so that's what we do. And that makes a big, big difference in my stress level. Sure. In terms of the coaches that you kind of look for and seek seek guidance from, in business, is it just in business and personal life? Is it just one person? Fitness is it separate? Or like, like, what do you look for when you're looking for a coach? Yeah. So I studied with the same coach for a really long time, and I think that really helped me. I actually stopped going to events for a while until I hit seven figures. And the reason for that is because every time I went to an event, I would hear somebody great on the stage and then I'd think I needed to do that thing, right? Like I, I love podcasting, but it's not my thing. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And actually on this point, I know uh, Re Perez introduced us yeah. back maybe February or March and, and you said, no, I've got, I've got a cold traffic goal I'm trying to hit. Yep. I'm not doing anything until then. So it sounds like you've you've really developed the muscle of Focus. being able to yeah, filter out everything that's not important and really laser in on what you want. It's so important. This morning, I let my clients listen in on our staff call. And we did a virtual staff call through Zoom. And I asked all of my employees what their focus was for the week. And two of them had way too many focuses. And the coaching was around them narrowing it down to two things that you're accomplishing this week. It, even though I'd love all of those things they said done, it just it makes the timelines go longer. It's such a common problem, too, with people 
especially entrepreneurs, because <laughs> the ideas never turn off, right? And you, you have you everywhere you look, there's opportunity. So I know one of the things that kind of helped me break through was, like you said, just laser focus. So for somebody that's just getting started, maybe for you know a potential client that has a bunch of ideas, but at the same time, no ideas because they're not started on anything. How do you, I guess, what would you tell them in terms of how to come up with a business idea, how to stay focused and moving forward? Yeah. What are you the best at? And like, for instance, remember mine, I was the best at. So when I started, I was debating, do I teach business or do I teach or do I teach like spirituality? Because I was totally into A Course in Miracles and all that stuff then, right? And so I was torn, like a lot of entrepreneurs. But at the end of the day, you just have to pick one. I mean, you know what's funny? It all ends up colliding together anyway. Like now I don't feel like I have to pick between my spirituality and business. I'm just me. So I think through the process of building a really successful business, you do start to merge the parts of you and you stop pretending to be something else. Your business starts to become kind of an, an extension of you. Yeah, it becomes right? your personality. Exactly. Yeah, it totally does. That's why America's worst airline, America's West, <laughs> needs to do some work. <laughs> oh, you're telling me. That guy walked off with a nice little sum of money, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, worked out for him. Didn't work out for United. But, nope. okay, so moving forward, where's your business at now in terms of revenue streams, products you offer, all, all of that? Because obviously revenues sounds sounds healthy. It's good. It sounds healthy, and we will. All, we could double it this year. There's a really good chance we could double it, but we'll definitely. You is know, cold traffic the key there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because your list is your list is kind of tapped out. Or no, 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 not, not at tapped all. out, but it's, we we just added another twenty five thousand people in the last couple months. Yeah, no. How are you, how are you growing? Cold traffic right now. Okay, so are you just are you just collecting leads at this point, like nope, building your list? Or they're something? in a funnel. They're nice. in a funnel. So we're we're monetizing the build at the same time. But I love the question because we don't offer a lot of things. I I could teach a lot of things, but in the marketplace, like when you look at Shanda Sumter out there in the world, you're gonna see audience building and selling. Build the audience, sell to it. Build the audience, sell to it. Because I just spoke to another 1,100 like brick and mortar businesses the other day and asked how many of them have a list of 5,000. There was 10 people in 1,100. I was like, don't listen to anything else. Just go build an email list. Like, you know, so, so I just decided when I saw that hole in the market that I could solve that problem. And so that's all I talk about. However, when people send up, through our mentorship programs and they get through the base level programs of building good email lists and us showing them how to monetize them. Then you move into a program that I have marketing mastery where I do all my fun work. That's like show them how to do events, show them, you know, I just show them how to build teams, show them how to do webinars, show them how to, you know, land stages, you know, all of that cool stuff. But I just don't believe that you should be focusing on any of that until you're set in your cash flow. You know, like even speaking on stages, I, a lot of my peers started that way and they do really great. But, you know, if you're anyone like me, I mean, it's a big test to get up on a stage. And I don't know. I just don't think you need to do that to yourself. 
else. No, especially when you have other stuff you need to worry about, like you said, like sales. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like, all that matters when you start a business. Cash and flow. That's, yeah, exactly. Like literally nothing else matters if, because you won't, you won't be around long enough to do any of the that's other right. cool stuff you want to do. That's right. That's right. And why get up on a stage and impact people and use the power of the platform when you don't know what you're doing yet? Like, and again, I know people would be really angry at me for saying that, but if they build their email list first, then when they take our stages or sponsor our stages, they're going to be much better off the stage because they've practiced with their email list. They'll be happier. The audience will be happier. And the people who host the events will be happier. And the quality will be way higher. Yeah, totally. So let's say let's say you're going back. You have no business. You're, you're at that corporate job again. And you have to start over. What how are you getting started in terms of like the actual tactical and strategic ways of getting started? What do you, what's your first step in terms of starting a business? I would just build an email list. How? We like the interview series. So we call it the reporter model. I wrote about it in core calling. There's a lot of people who teach telesummits, video summits, things like that. Um, I have never studied anybody's summit, so to speak. We created a totally different version of how you do like an interview series and you become Oprah or Larry King Live, and you get the power of the credibility instantly. And we show them how we show people how to actually get uh, influencers to like promote them. So, for instance, to find a great influencer, you can go to Amazon.com, and on Amazon, look for a book in a topic or a field that you really love, that you think that you've mastered. So, parenting. Parenting is a great interview series. Health is an incredible interview series. And you go to Amazon, you find people who have built books around a topic in health or a topic in parenting. And they have like 40 or 50 or more reviews written about them. Those are people who typically have an email list. You want to interview a series of people who have an email list. And then basically when they do the interview with you, they mail their databases. Everybody mails the same email to their database, a promo email. And it comes back through a simple opt-in page, a registration. You collect names and emails in response, in, what is it called? Reciprocal to be, able to, to be able to give them the interview access. So I think what we do a little bit different is we make them research-based. So for instance, when I had my son, I had a really hard time balancing being a mom, being a businesswoman, and being a fiancé at that time. And so what was suffering was Ash. You know, he wasn't getting any of me. I was too tired. I was, you know, he was not a priority. And so I did a research a research project where I interviewed a bunch of millionaire women in how were they managing their relationships and their children and the extracurricular stuff and all, like and how did they keep that spice alive with their partner. And so we do research packets. And when people do it like that, not only do you learn, but you have a better interview that way. But then you build an incredible list because it's super valuable. It's not super just, targeted too. It's super targeted. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And then just to, I, I love that answer. That's super in depth. And to continue from there, once you have a good baseline of emails, yep. what do you start? What do you start providing them? Survey them. Mm. So we do a seven question survey that's all multiple choice and we're trying to find out their problems and their desires, right? So, and specific problems. So for me, one of the questions I always ask on a survey because I know that I'm going to sell some sort of an audience build, but when you don't know, it's okay. You just want to say, what am I strong at? 
and what would be some of the questions that I could ask these people to see if they're having a problem in these areas. So I always ask, like, what is your email list size and multiple choices, a different series of answers. But like, for instance, if you are, you know, let's just take the parenting person, say you've just, here's a great one. I have a woman who helps women get pregnant and it's totally spiritual. And she was like, I can never sell this. Like, I know what I do. I've had five children. She, she had five children, all natural, no drugs. And she has an incredible family, insanely good family. I'm like, you got to teach this stuff. And she's like, no, I want to teach soul purpose stuff. And I'm like, you're never going to sell out on that because it's not your thing. You're good at it, but it's not your thing. And so now she teaches fertility. She sold out in 25 days. She just messaged me on my way here. She just got 41 new clients in two weeks. It's insane. It's just her. She doesn't even have a team except for a virtual assistant. But like, so for someone like her, when she would build an email list around the sole purpose stuff, I would throw in a couple questions like, well, ask them if they're a mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like leading her that I'm way. Like, <laughs> and, it took me a couple years yeah. to get her to say yes to this because she was afraid. And often we think the thing we do so well, nobody would pay us for because we take it for granted. Like I took for granted that I could enroll people in their visions. Like I took that for granted. I never stopped and just dived down intimately in how could this be useful for someone. So the value placed on it was just low when in reality it's super valuable. Yeah. 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 It's leadership. So with, let's say, let's say that client, do you recommend info products to start or what do you recommend? No, I actually recommend, well, it depends. If you need cash flow, I recommend selling your time. And this is, you know, totally. unfortunately, That's a great way to start. Unfortunately, so much of the marketplace, especially network marketers, they're sold this bag of goods about don't sell your time to broke people, right? Or people that don't have the amount of money that they want. Sell your time. It's the most valuable. I mean, if I opened up my time right now, I would sell out, right? So sell your time, whether you first start or you've been doing it for a while, if you sell your time, that's the highest ticket price. Big believer in that. Then look for leverage. So right? don't scale out of the gate. Don't create a course that you don't know if somebody needs. And talking to people at first, like doing coaching a calls. A course is just as hard to sell. Yeah, as, totally. So why, like the person who's going to buy the course is often going to buy the higher level coaching program. Or if you have 10 of them that will buy the course, there's probably four or five of them that would buy the high level advice, you know, exactly. and you could charge much more. And, but you know, I, I, I totally get it because most people here, especially when they're starting to, when they're just getting into business, don't trade your time for money. You know, you hear that all the time. You hear it all the time. And, and I like that because you're saying the best way to actually get started is to trade your time for money because one, it's the highest yield. And two, you get feedback on you know, how to scale later and, and you, create leverage. You actually really learn who you want to work with. Exactly. And they do. They give you feedback instantly on, oh my God, that made such a big difference for me. Note taken. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. I should build, like I just had that on a call today with my clients. They're like, oh my gosh, you should totally teach that thing on team. And I'm like, really? Never would have, my marketing manager's like, will you do a Facebook live on that? You know, like you just don't know unless you're working with people. I love that. So thanks, thanks for breaking that down. I think it's super actionable for somebody that's listening that doesn't necessarily know how to get started. So it's just kind of picking, picking a topic around what you're good at. Ask, you know, ask other people what you're good at. Because like you said, sometimes we value it very low when it's actually a very high value skill. Yeah. And then... You might need a little bit of help on figuring out how do I 
make this useful for someone else, but go to a go to a great business coach that's crushing it and tell them this is your idea to this is what you're good at. How do I make this useful for someone else? Like get responsible with your questions versus how do I make money? I mean, stop asking how do I make money. It's <laughs> come, come with something absolutely which is this is what I'm good. At. I'm good at gardening. I had somebody come to me and say, I'm really good at cooking healthy meals for my family. That's valuable. 100%. You know, she built a seven-figure company off of that in a couple years. That's valuable. She had no idea she could monetize what she knows about making a healthy meal. That's cool. So obviously the Fail On podcast, we push each other to get outside our comfort zones. What's the last thing that you did to kind of stretch your comfort zone and, and get uncomfortable? There's so many, Rob. There's so many that I'm, I constantly catch myself when I say that I can't do that yet. I do it. So just recently, you know, we're building a house in Cardiff and we thought that it was going to come in about $400,000 less than it's coming in at. And so, you know, my, even though we make incredible money, my new husband, it's so so funny calling my husband, (laughs) you know, he's like, well, maybe we should scale back on some of the trips this year. And I was like, no, we should scale up on the trips. I was like, do you want me to perform or do you want me to get comfortable? Because getting comfortable, you're never neutral. You're either going backwards or going forwards. You were never neutral. So I was like, book the Grand Prix. I was like, come on, let's book an insane trip to the Grand Prix. And then let's book the American Cup. We're still booking the American Cup. But, you know, and we started messaging people about getting more groups together to do our travel stuff. So I think you have to look where where you're pulling back and don't allow yourself to pull back, push forward. So that was a that was a recent one. Also, we just got married, you know, so we just got married We're playing with cold traffic. Our house is coming in, you know, 400,000 higher than, you know, it's all all of it. Like, I can't tell you where I am comfortable in my life, but I've actually gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable. It sounds funny, but because I've built the email list and because I know how to sell to it, I know if worse came to worse, I mean, I could open up to 30 private clients at $40,000 a person or something and I could do it. You know, I could just do it. Yep. And I think it's a little easier to get uncomfortable when you have when you have something kind of steady, right? Yeah. Because then, then you, the failure of getting outside your comfort zone, or if you do fail, it won't crush you. Because well, no, I think it do, I think it does crush you. I think it does. Cru- I think you have a further further way to fall, right? So, but I just have a deep faith that you know, first of all, I'm not alone, and that everything that I've created. I mean, it's, it's all been a miracle. I mean, it really is. It's all, it's been hard work, but it's all been a miracle. I would say just make sure you actually take time off because if you're working too much, it actually causes a major backward slip. If you've noticed, you don't move as quick ahead. So you've got to take time off. But when you think you can't do something, you absolutely must do it. I don't care if you go full out or just partly out, but moved in that direction. Because that's got you in a limit. And I and think everybody deep down knows like what they should be doing that they're holding back on. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people about this and and people know like they should be starting this or they should be yeah. pursuing this, but they're not. Yeah. You know? So Larry Wingett says it great. Your success is your own damn fault. I mean it really is. When you know that and you settle for but I can't right now because of money 
you you just like sealed your death there. I mean, you did. You instead of being the person that figures it out, right? Like that just figure. Like I, I even stretched my team like this. My marketing manager today had you know three things on his plate, and I said, "Do one, do ClickBank today, and make sure that it's complete, not." That you're going to, in a week and a half from now, that, that product, we're still working on back-end emails or something. I was like, you already have all the back-end emails tested and looked at. Get intimate with your projects. Like, problem solve. Look for what's going to go wrong. Pro- problem solve. Complete things. Become a finisher. I like that. So, being the fill-on podcast, what's, what's the challenge you could lay out for myself as well as the listeners that would push us outside our comfort zone to to grow that little bit more you said it actually so i was going to give a different <laughs> one but this is so what's something right now that you're afraid of that you're not doing uh so, so i i talked to andy drish who he he's the founder co-founder of the foundation which helps people build software businesses he asked me the same thing and it was like you mentioned earlier talking in front of people uh-huh so uh, I did the same thing with him. By June first, I have to talk. I have to talk to a group of it's a very small first step in yeah. front of fifteen people. That's it. Yeah. And that's going to be kind of the challenge he laid out. Uh, have you? So my challenge for you would be to figure out some way of doing that in the next week. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously. So, I, I know. <laughs> so have you ever read a Perfect Day Formula, the book? I haven't. No. Okay. So Craig is a friend of mine, and he I, I, he became a friend after I read his book. And it's an incredible book and there's a piece in the book. First of all, it's great for vision, like getting your vision, but it's also great for how do you get wildly productive, right? And he basically said, if you stretch out your time, that like space will fill up, like you'll fill in that space. So you're actually, he recommends pick your goals for the year and cut them in half, do them in six months, right? And it's totally real. Like it's like that vacation energy when you're going on vacation, you get like so much done that week. It's like that type of energy. So are you showing up like you're going on a vacation next week? And this is something that's going to move your whole business forward. Love it. So that's what I'd recommend. So anybody who answered that question, what is scaring you right now? Or what do you know you should be doing that you're not doing? Then I recommend over the next week, the next seven days, Put yourself on a challenge to make it happen. And here's what's crazy. Every single person listening to this can do that. What's insane to me is that most won't. So true. They won't because they're going to be more comfortable letting it ease in versus being like a person like on purpose with your hair on fire. You have no idea why or how you need to do this. You know what I mean? Like like, You can't really motivate somebody, right? Like you have to feel... Like you have to, like, where do you get that fire from? Cause I'm sure some people, like you said, most people won't, but how do you develop that it's fire? Be, or is you it have just to be okay with, with failure. It? Yeah. Because the only reason why, so the only reason why you haven't done it yet, because there's a part of you that believes that somehow it won't work out. There's either rejection in there or it's not going to, it's going to let you down somehow. You don't actually get that, that, that thing is going to quantum leap you. When I started doing events, I mean, my business went from seven figures to multiple seven figures like that. You know what I mean? We did 1.4 off the stage the end of last year, right? Like in just a couple of days. So my point in sharing that with you is not to boast at all because I have a lot of room to grow. But it is the fact that we don't believe 
right? Like we, we don't, if you really believe that that funnel was going to transform your company, you do nothing else but that funnel until it, tra- until it worked, right? If, if you really believed these things, if you really believed that webinar was really going to be able to convert you X amount of dollars of passive income that would allow you to do something like pay for your kids, you know, college or take you and your wife on a ridiculous vacation because she deserves it. So it sounds like connecting with why yeah. you actually want it. Yeah, but we still don't believe that right. that thing's really going to work because we've been let down so many times yeah. in our connection with failure is that it's wrong, it's bad, it means we're less than. If we can just get to the other side of that and recognize Branson fails. Exactly. You know what right? I mean? There's nobody that doesn't. It, it's just part of it. Yeah. It's just fail quicker. Just fail quicker. What are you most excited about with everything you have going on? I'm most excited about the fact that we're trying to have a baby again, oh, baby awesome. number two. And I'm really excited about cracking this whole entire cold funnel. I'm excited about that because what that means is that I can serve so many more people. And like I said, I'm, I'm on the other side of that selfish part. I'm good with where we're at in our retirement and all of that type of stuff. I'm good there. And so, but what I'm really about is a, a friend of mine, Jesse Itzler, who wrote um, Living with a Navy SEAL for 30 days. He was just recently calculating how long we live And so men, I think, are 72 and women are 78. Average, of course, if you're healthy, you're going to live past that, hopefully. But if you were to take that that's the average and you don't know if that's going to be you or not, then you only have so many years left. And I just want to make a big impact. Love it. Yeah, I don't have any time to waste. At some point in that field, my energy is going to be different. Right. You know? Thanks for sharing. And thanks for joining me on a a beautiful beautiful day in La Jolla. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Shanda. Thanks. You can find Shanda at Shanda Sumter on Twitter. That's at Shanda Sumter. And of course, that spelling, along with all the links and resources Shanda and I discussed, including more information on her coaching programs, can all be found on the page we created, especially for this episode. That'll be found at failon.com slash 041. And next week, we are sitting down with my buddy, Roddy Chong. Roddy is an incredible story. He's an accomplished Asian-American violinist and a speaker known for incredibly high-energy performances using the violin and also incredibly inspiring stories that he tells. And he's worked with some of the music industry's most recognized, you know, icons. Roddy has has toured with Shania Twain. He's toured with Celine Dion, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. He has performed for audiences around the world, including the president of the U.S., the Queen of England, the Pope, Oprah, and countless other notable figures. In this episode, Roddy talks about the family pressure he had to play the violin while growing up, which almost drove him to stopping completely, and what a shame that would have been. He discusses the importance of following a passion and networking in order to find amazing opportunity, and Roddy also shares the steps and processes he used to land an audition and play with Shania Twain and Celine Dion. Don't miss it. It's coming up next week. If the podcast is providing value to your life or your business right now, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at robfailon.com. And as Failon approaches the end of season one, which is happening at the end of 2017, we are going to be shifting gears a bit going into the new year. We'll move away from all interview episodes and start exploring some new formats. We'll be sharing my journey and process as I build up my Felder Freedom Coaching Program. And I guess now's a good time to actually mention it. If you want more freedom in your life and you know you're destined for more than your current path, the program might be a great fit for you. The only requirement is that you can't be an asshole 
and you must have an expertise that provides a life or business transformation for another person. And if you're not sure if you quite qualify, well, if you're an asshole, definitely don't don't email me. But if you're not sure if you qualify or you have an expertise that can provide that transformation for somebody, I'd love to chat with you about it and discuss and see if it could be a fit. Just email me at rob at failon.com and we can grab a few minutes just to see if it could be a good fit for you. But that is it for now. I will catch you next week. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.